If you ask your kids why they did something, what are you asking? Are you simply trying to understand what they did, or are you challenging them to defend their actions? You know, it's been said that uh, parents should never ask why their kids did something, only what it is that they did. That asking why puts kids on the defensive and invites an argument, and there may be some wisdom uh, to that, and it might be wise in some circumstances, but obviously it's not a hard and fast rule. You know, why is still a good question. Because it can lead to reflection, and there are times when asking why is an honest search for understanding. Well, in the second chapter of Mark, we find Jesus being asked why four times. Actually, the first why isn't verbalized, it's merely thought. But Jesus knew what the scribes were thinking. After Jesus said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven, the scribes reasoned in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then, as we'll see today, when Jesus was eating in Matthew's home, the Pharisees asked his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? The next why will come from the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees. You know, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? The final why will come from Pharisees as they watch Jesus' disciples pluck a few heads of grain and pop them into their mouths as they walk through a grain field on the Sabbath. Why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath, they asked. Why? 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 Were these questions asked to understand Jesus and what he was doing? Or were the questioners challenging his authority by asking why to accuse him? You know, I think chances are pretty good that uh, there was an accusative or judgmental tone to all their whys. For by in chapter 3, they're openly watching him in order that they might accuse him, the text says. And we're taking counsel as to how they might destroy him. Now, all four questions could have been asked with a desire to learn. And Jesus gave great answers to all of them, but his accusers were not looking for answers. They had answered the questions before they asked them. So let's just ask them and learn. Why did Jesus say, my son, your sins are forgiven? Why did Jesus eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? Why didn't Jesus instruct his disciples to fast? Why did Jesus disregard Sabbath day regulations? These are good questions to ask. And we've already explored the first one last week. You know, Jesus, you remember, linked forgiveness and healing when addressing the needs of a paralytic in order to empirically demonstrate his power to forgive sin. He tied 
together something we couldn't see with something we could see so we'd know he has authority to address our spiritual need. This morning, we join the scribes and Pharisees in asking, why is he with sinners? They ask it in judgment. We ask it in gratitude. Let's begin by simply reading the account. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the multitude were coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came about that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax gatherers were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We begin to answer the question, why is he with sinners, by simply recognizing that they said yes. Back to 13 and 14. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the multitude were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Jesus is in Capernaum, the city on the Sea of Galilee that he called home during his ministry. When it was discovered that he was home, people came to the house where he stayed, most likely Peter's house, and he taught them there. When he went for a walk, people followed him. So he taught as he walked along the seashore. Now, if he stayed in any one place too long, the crowds dictated how he spent his time. There were so many needs to meet, and Jesus was compassionate and met all the needs that were presented to him. But he had come to preach, to teach, and that was his primary ministry, that and finding men who he could entrust with the good news, who would continue his ministry of preaching and teaching after he returned to the Father. And as he was walking along the road, he spotted Levi sitting in his toll booth, collecting taxes and customs from travelers going from one province to another. Now, Palestine was at the crossroads of much of the ancient world, serving as a land bridge between Europe and uh, Asia to Africa, and several major roads went through Capernaum. So Levi had a choice location and was no doubt making money hand over fist. He had most likely been hired by Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee, but Herod was simply a puppet controlled by Rome. So Levi was, in essence, both a federal and a state employee, raising taxes and collecting fees for both. Now, most people think government workers 
have it made, you know, job security, good pay, great benefits. But Levi had it even better. He had quotas to reach, but anything he collected above them went into his pockets. It was a great job. Everyone wanted to be a tax collector, but everyone who wasn't one hated them. So Levi was an outcast. He was rich and successful, but despised by most people, especially the Jews. He was not only dipping his hand into their pockets, he was working for the Romans and Jews who weren't in positions of power and authority because of the Romans hated them. But when Jesus saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in his tax office, probably a toll booth, he said, follow me. And he said it forcefully. He said it in the imperative mood. It was a command. Now, that doesn't mean Levi had to obey. He could have refused. But Jesus was making it clear that he really wanted Levi to follow him. But why? We can only guess. There's no indication that Jesus knew Levi or that Levi had followed Jesus for a time before being called to follow him full time, as had been the case with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Mark simply says that Jesus saw him sitting there. Luke uses the word noticed. You know, maybe Jesus noticed something about Levi that others missed. Maybe he looked beneath his successful exterior and saw someone who was empty and who longed to be part of something significant. Maybe he saw Levi's potential and realized he had gifts and abilities that could be used to benefit the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus may be the one who changed his name from Levi to Matthew, which means gift of God. And as a tax collector, Levi had to be good at keeping records and recording detail, which no doubt served him well when he wrote the gospel according to Matthew. Whatever his reason, Jesus said, follow me. And he did. Mark says he arose and followed him. Luke notes he left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. You know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John left their fishing boats, but they could always go back to fishing. Their business stayed in the family. Matthew burnt his bridges behind him. He walked away from his toll booth. He couldn't go back to Herod and say, I'm sorry, I lost my head. I want my job back. He left everything and followed Jesus. And that is why we find Jesus with sinners. They said yes. And they brought their friends, 15 and 16. And it came about that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax gatherers were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax gatherers, they began saying to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? You know, the way Mark says it, it 
almost sounds like Jesus and the disciples were hosts for the dinner, and that it took place in Jesus' house, that perhaps Jesus is the one who invited all the tax gatherers to dinner. Not that it would surprise us if he did, but Luke makes it clear that Levi was the host. He says, Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. Levi was the one who planned the party, and the guest list was his. And the only friends a tax gatherer would have would be other tax gatherers. So Matthew invited his friends, and they came, lots of them. It wasn't a party to celebrate his new job. It was a reception where they could meet Jesus. Matthew reached out to his circle of friends and professional acquaintances so he could introduce them to the man who had changed his life. And that, quite frankly, is the best way for a church to grow. Let your friends know about the man who changed your life and bring them to a place where they can meet him. Not that they can't meet Jesus outside of church, but being in an environment where others have also been changed by him is obviously a good place to meet him and start following him. And we should note that the most effective evangelists are those who come to Christ and have a circle of friends who aren't Christians. You know, after years in the church, there's a tendency to have only Christian friends, and that's not good. Not that it's not good to have Christian friends. That's what fellowship and brotherhood is all about. But if we withdraw from contacts in the world, how are we going to be salt and light? If we don't know anyone who doesn't know Jesus, we might as well live in a monastery. Levi had lots of contacts. And they came when invited. But not everyone thought that was a good thing. The scribes and the Pharisees thought it was scandalous for Jesus to be eating with sinners the unchurched, those who didn't follow the ceremonial law, and tax gatherers. Now, please don't think me a Pharisee. I have no problem with Jesus eating with sinners, but it does bother me a bit to have to admit he was also drinking with them. And they were no doubt drinking wine. Now, I'm not suggesting it was wrong for Jesus to do so in that time and place. But I wouldn't want his doing so to encourage us to do something that has potential for great harm to ourselves or others and is not necessary with all the non-alcoholic options we have today. You've heard my reasons for abstinence before, so I'll just leave it there. The bottom line is that Jesus was socializing with tax gatherers and sinners. 
and it offended the Pharisees. They were apparently afraid to confront Jesus about it, so they asked his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax gatherers and sinners? The answer is threefold. First, they said yes when invited. Secondly, they brought their friends and they recognized their need. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, is it, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Why is he with sinners? The same reason a physician spends time with the sick. They need him. If a physician spent all his time with the healthy, he wouldn't have much of a practice, unless, of course, he could convince everyone that he was keeping them healthy. But most people don't go to a doctor when they're feeling good. They go when they're sick, when they know they need one. And comparing himself to a physician coming to those who need him probably made sense even to the Pharisees. But when he said, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners, I'm pretty sure they missed the point. They probably thought, it's good that he's going to sinners. At least he's not going to bother us and no one will expect us to get involved with him. We don't need him and he knows it. But is that what Jesus is saying? Is he saying there are some who are so good they don't need him? That there are some who are righteous in and of themselves? No, not at all. You know, thinking yourself to be righteous, to be right with God, doesn't mean you are. It just means you think you are. The Pharisees thought they were righteous. They followed the letter of the law, at least according to their interpretation of the law. They didn't think they needed a spiritual physician. They weren't spiritually sick. Or were they? Now, sometimes you can have a serious, even terminal disease and feel just fine. I had no idea I had prostate cancer until my PSA number started climbing. Thankfully, I found out last week my number is now less than zero a year and a half after radioactive seeding. And I had no idea I had a heart problem until they discovered I was in AFib when they did the seeding. Hopefully, I'll get another good report from the doctor who did my heart ablation next week. So yes, you can have a terminal disease and feel just fine. In fact, you can die and not know why. Whether they knew it or not, most of the Pharisees were spiritually dead. Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. The tax gatherers and sinners, on the other hand, didn't kid themselves. They knew they were sinners. They knew they didn't measure up to the Pharisees' standard, and they assumed they didn't measure up 
to God's. So who would be more receptive to the message Jesus came preaching, repent and believe in the Gospels? The Pharisees didn't think they needed to repent. So the Gospel meant nothing to them. The sinners knew they needed to repent. And when they heard the good news that they could be forgiven, they jumped at it. The same is true today. You know, the most resistant to the gospel are those who don't think they need it. They're good people. And they're getting along just fine. They may even be religious, go to church regularly, and and even pray. The Pharisees prayed. They believed in God. They just didn't know how much they needed him. The sinners knew they didn't have a prayer without him. So when he said, follow me, they did. And then they told their sinner friends about him. And they came too. That is why Jesus was with sinners and why he is with them yet today. He's with sinners because we are with him. And we responded to his invitation. You know, if you want to see him with more sinners, invite your friends. And if you don't have any sinner friends, make some. Okay? Find someone who will recognize their need. And like you, will say, Jesus, I come. When he says, follow me. Let's stand.